More fun than a room full of wombats. <laughs> Able to reach huge audiences with a single broadcast. Yes, it's the Outdoor Journal Radio Show. And now, another exciting episode in the adventures of Outdoor Journal Radio. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of Outdoor Journal, the podcast. I'm Angelo Bio. He is Peter Bowman. Hello, Angelo. This is episode 21 by the looks of things. I think the boys got written down. We've done 20, Where, 20 of these already. Where do you see this? Get the hell out of here. Look at you. you got all kinds of interesting extra writing that I don't have on my <laughs> stuff. <laughs> You are such a D-I-K. <laughs> uh, mm, a wonderful episode today. Wonderful. As they all are. And as they should be. I think they are. Why yeah. would we do one and it's not even a, a good episode? I don't Absolutely. Absolutely. So, before we get into that. It's a fun, you know, we have fun doing it. We have, it's a very uh, light-natured uh, uh, podcast or get-together or whatever you want to call it. I think it's, yeah. Yeah, it's like a yeah. kumbaya moment. It is. It is. I've listened to a lot of podcasts lately, and Have they're you? very. They're although they're very good content. They're they're a little stiffish, you know, a little. Uh, no way. Yeah, very. Like, give me an example. What would you mean, like stiffish? Hello, Angelo. How are you today? Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. You know, like there, there's no camaraderie. There's oh. some laughing involved, and usually when the guests come on, there's some laughing involved and stuff like that, and that loosens things up. I don't know. Maybe to me, a pot. I listened to uh, Joe Rogan and Snoop Dogg last night, and that you want to hear a laid back <laughs> a podcast? Holy shit! Now that's what that's like laid back as it gets. But anyways, um, did I tell you the Fish and Canada show is airing every single Saturday? Wow! You didn't, you didn't tell me that. I didn't tell you that. No, I like him, but I'm glad it, you on did. Uh, Global Television Network, coast to coast to coast, mm-hmm. as uh, where it's been uh, for for a number of years now. There many coasts, yes. and uh, uh, um, it. Uh, I, I announced Sportsman's Channel. That's the one I. I, I Sportsman need, Channel need to Canada. Underline Sportsman's Channel Canada. Yes, it airs also eight o'clock Saturday morning. Yeah. But it also airs uh, like on uh, on a, on a Tuesday, on a Sunday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Yeah, I believe yes, four airings yeah. through the week. Yeah, uh, per episode. Yeah, and on WFN, see, I, there's another one I I don't mention often enough, and that w- is the United States World well, Fishing yeah, Network, right? Is that yeah. right? No, that's, I'm just wondering. It's the world. Yeah, it used to be as opposed to. Uh, well, it's not in Canada. WFN well, it used to be. This is where it How started. How can it be the world if this it's not in Canada? Where, this is where That's it started. That's a discrimination. That's discrimination uh-huh. against my country. I agree. Eh? I agree. But I believe Sportsman Channel Canada picked it up instead of, or said affiliate of WFN or something like that. Is that what it is? I don't. WFN. Yeah, that's WFN. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you had the look, did you? <laughs> you asshole. You just got me good there. <laughs> and of course, the checks group. A Czech, Czech group Czech who have been uh, airing the Fish in Canada show since its 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 inception. Mm-hmm. They were one of the very first to pick it oh, up. Oh yeah, NCIT. I still have some buddies that uh, watch it on checks. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, uh, like six thirty in the morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get those cheesy commercials. Uh, the oh best. my god! It's the best. And of course, the entire extravaganza is also available on YouTube. Yeah, not just this season. Maybe the last season, the season before, the season before, and four and four and four. For that. That's four seasons. Before, before, before. Mm. Before the four. Excuse me, I just took a sip of my. That's where you went for coffee. That's why you took an hour. Flat white with soy. (laughs) 
What is in the news, Mr. Bowman? Uh, the first news item we have in here, this is a good one because this is going to be, this is going to play big, I think, in the future here. Alberta introduced a wild pig bounty. So the government approved trappers. Speaking of pigs, speaking of pigs, I swear to God. I, I, no, I think I showered this morning. No, when I was went to pick up my coffee just before a we started. Pig serviary coffee? There was a lady that, not, she's not a pig, a lady was walking a pig on a leash. No. On the sidewalk. Are you kidding me? I'm serious. Uh, they may, apparently they make the best pets ever. They make potbelly pigs are apparently the they're apparently, better than a dog. You, according to who? Come on now. We, I've known one or two people that have had them, loved them. And how would a pig be a better pet than a dog? Apparently they are just a fantastic pet. They're, they're well, I don't know. My dog's a, a my, my dog's more of a pig than a pig would be to begin with. That asshole has destroyed my house, Labrador and Retriever, a pig, by and the way. a pig won't. Well, that pig couldn't even get up with this dog, but my dog okay. got. There's yeah. no way he could get up there and, and do that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, pig licks your face. Hey. A pig will lick your face. I always remember. I always remember the joke my dad used to tell me about the lady walking in the grocery store. <laughs> oh boy! Here we and go. she had Gordy had some good ones. And she had a a duck with her, a duck on her shoulder, a duck or whatever. <laughs> I know this, <laughs> this red skeleton or somebody says, some drunk guy he says, "Hey, that's a nice pig you got there." And she goes, "It's not a pig; it's a duck." He says, I wasn't talking to you; I was talking to the duck. <laughs> That's my dad's joke. I know it's politically incorrect, oh, but that's my dad. I love the guy. That is a great joke. <laughs> Brought back memories. So anyways, there's a wild bounty. Uh, uh, oh, hang bounty. on. Oh. Hang on. Let's oh, see. your pig story goes more? Yeah. No, goes no, more. no. But I want to know. You said people have said that they're good, make good pets. Well, make the people that we've known that had them had more than one. When one would pass away, they'd get the next one. They'd replace it with a pig and a pig and a pig. Have you ever, and I know the answer to this is no. <laughs> okay, for you. Have you ever seen... Uh, what comes out the other end of a pig? You mean in the, in the poop section? Yes. Well, okay. I'd like to see how in the hell you're going to put a plastic bag over your hand. Well, you know, maybe that's why they like them. They just let her fall into the ground. You don't have to pick it up. So you don't have to pick a shit up. You just why? Making, why? Why wouldn't you have to pick theirs up? I don't know. Okay, you're saying you're saying how can you do it with a plastic bag? You're making it sound like it's impossible. You need a, you need a, you need a, a burlap sack, and then uh, over top of that, you need one of those big. Maybe he's those got big little... garbage bags, you know, those big industrial heavy duty yeah. garbage bags. Yeah. Got a, maybe they could, you could invent a pig pooper. They could go in, they could go and uh, and poop in a. Pig maybe pooper. I don't. I'm just saying they're not the neatest people. And you can the... eat them when they die. Well, hey, there is that a benefit. There of that is one. that. You know, okay, piss, if they piss you off, you roast them up. <laughs> <laughs> BBQ for you. <laughs> there, Anyways, go ahead. Uh, and the, so the wild pig, there's obviously an, a problem with wild pigs. It started in the U.S. I don't know if it was, uh, I mean, probably started even in South America. Texas. I'm sure, but Texas was the big one. And it just, they're feral. They're, they're these, these pigs are just, they're going wild. They're ruining uh, land, agriculture. They don't kill other animals, I don't think. But they, well, they do inadvertently. Inadvertently they yeah. do with the, yeah. the burrowing and whatever yeah. they do. They break they, legs. They yeah, break legs. Exactly. Stuff, right? So in Alberta, they're, the government, has approved trappers of $75 per set of ears, so per pig. And the landowners, if the uh, the trappers are trapping on a, a farmer's land, they're also eligible for that 75 bucks. working with them. So I thought, go ahead. Did I tell you the story our, our good friend uh, Sean shared with me about this situation with Probably, the pigs? Probably, but I can take it again because I love this pig story. I think this is good. So far, we've got some good pig talk here today. So... 
so the deal is this. Pigonomics. They, they have they have now they're saying they have a problem with wild pigs in Western Canada, as as they do in most of the southern states. Yes. Right? But in Western Canada in particular, according to my good friend, Sean Kelly. Sean. He informs me that the problem was self-inflicted here in Canada. They brought them up? They brought them up for agricultural purposes, and they were selling extremely well. Wild boar is is, is highly sought after meat. It's we fantastic. know how good that is. It's fantastic. It's unreal. Well, anyways, rumor has it that a very large Canadian um, uh, hog and, and chicken uh, processing company, mm-hmm. and we know how big they can get out in Western Canada. I mean, some of the ranches are size of countries. But anyways. When I lived in Port Hope. Remember, remember Curtis Chicks? Oh my God! You want to talk about stinky shit? Oh, that was terrible. Uh, our house, we used to have to vacate our house and take off to Coburg for for hours because it was so. Oh my God! Oh, that was, I remember that. Oh, I remember it was brutal. Going down there uh, to, oh. to, to the to the Gataraska. Yeah, oh, yeah the whole town is oh, smelling. It's oh. Anyways, go ahead. Sorry, the pigs were brought in. So, anyways, so uh, there was quite a, a going uh, business. Uh, developed here in Canada with with the uh, wild boar Absolutely. meats and Delicious, cuts, right? and so uh, out west in, in here in, in this country, there was several um, um, farmers that took it up. And they said, "Hey, you know what? I think I'm going to start some of that wild boar business. Looks pretty damn good." And they started popping up all over the place and growing. And then one company in particular, who was larger than all the rest of them, and I won't put a name to it because I don't know this to be factual and I don't want to have to deal with any of that stuff. Right. Yep. But this one large entity in that industry decided that they wanted to own the business. So they started undercutting all of the pricing, Ooh. literally driving the little guys out of business. Yeah. 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 To the point where the demand got so, so big for this one giant producer mm-hmm. that they started cheating a little bit on the content of their wild boar packaging. What? Meaning it says wild boar on the package, but mm, not, not so necessarily. Wild? The only thing wild about it maybe was the the guy who was handling the shovel cleaning <laughs> out their pens. Maybe he was a little on the wild side. But anyways, it got to the point where they started because uh, nobody was checking this stuff. And it got to the point where they started just uh, sneaking in all kinds of goodies. The little guys started complaining. Was it was it other just like domestic pig, or was it even not even hog meat? I heard it wasn't even. It was hog, but not not not. It was more domestic than wild. Okay. Let's put it that way. Okay. But they were just passing the that whatever the little loophole was there. They were just getting by it by having certain conditions that these hogs were raised in. But anyways, bottom line is, the little guys started complaining to the federal government who like everything else, they kind of look after things and oh, when, yeah. right. They regulate and, and whatnot, but, but they, the, 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 the government turned their back on, on the little guys. No. Yep. And said, no, no, that's, that's fine. He's within uh, the subsection 14 regulation 542, uh, you know, underscore this and that. Anyway, so the little guys got pissed off and they, most of them were looking to get out of the business by this point. And uh, they opened their pens. They opened their pens 
They had, they got together, much like the convoy, the truck right. convoy thing. Right. They got together and opened their pens. Holy and that's Jesus. why we have got, because, you know, when you think about it, I mean, how, and this just happened overnight. Mm-hmm. This whole wild boar Canada problem, just it seemed just to, boom. It was, wasn't there yesterday, woke up this morning, it was here. That would explain it when thousands would mm-hmm. be released into the wild that would normally be penned. And this, was this a West you said at first? West, was it? Alberta and Saskatchewan both. Do you think they traversed by foot to Ontario? Absolutely. Because we got them here. Right? Now we do. Yeah. Yeah, now so, we do for sure. Because I was wondering, from Texas to Northern Saskatchewan, that's a quite a stint. It's not only in distance, yeah. but in weather oh, we brought conditions, we brought climate. You know what yeah, I mean? we brought them here. So they, got, was, they, got, was, they got transported they here. They got born in Canada. They learned the winters. They did. They exactly. Got all that, you know, they, they acclimated exactly. themselves and adapted. Yeah. And now they're gotten across country. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so anyway, so that's the story behind that. Now that's a good one. Now coming from my good friend Sean Kelly, did he have any beers in him at the time when he was telling you? Mm, I don't think he does beers. Did he have any whiskeys or oh, vodkas? regularly? I would be I just surprised. Don't know if that story wasn't influenced or anything. Oh, it might have been slightly. That's okay. That's all right. It makes it a better story. It makes a better story. As far as I'm concerned. <laughs> we love you, Sean. I know, we know you're not listening, but somebody else will hear this anyway. So, um, so anyway, so that, that's what, what happened. And apparently CBC picked up on the story. They, they did. They, they ori- ran with it. Oh yeah. yeah. They ran it and did an original report and then, and then implicated uh, government agencies. And then wow. of course that got shut down right away because CBC being a government agency, yeah. uh, you know, it didn't take long before yeah. that story One died. Story. <laughs> Within a week that's done, <laughs> exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. And there we have it. There oh. we go. Full circle. Now, boom. Go ahead. Now you got the story. Now you yeah, got the story, story behind the story. So they're introducing this wild pig bounty, as we said, Alberta. And that was the, we said the trappers uh, who are probably hired or doing this for a living at 75 mm-hmm. bucks a pop. Mm-hmm. The landowners for the trappers and even hunters will be able to uh, collect 75 per, uh, per pair of years. So they're, uh, they're putting a, a run on these, uh, you know, on trying to get the population down. However, the, the, this is very interesting, and Dean had uh, sourced this up for us, is that these buggers are smart. Oh, these yeah. These friggin' pigs are smart. And they say that trapping is much more effective in getting their herds, their so- sounds or sounders, whatever they call it, sounders. Sure. Uh, there's a whole group of these pigs. So you can get them in a big pen and get them all at once because if you hunt them with guns, they adapt so quickly to avoid humans that you just never get them. So in, in a sense, pigs are smarter than humans. Their pigs are smarter than us, kid. When you think about it, mm-hmm. they adapt. So in Ontario, this is why Ontario banned wild pig hunting in 2022. Because you might think, well, why are you banning it? Why, why not let us go out and shoot them? I mean, they're delicious. Exactly. So I, I'd, I'd go out and hunt wild boar if I could. Because I think actually accelerates the their spread. Exactly. Wild pigs that are exposed to hunting pressure flee to new areas and learn to avoid humans. Other jurisdictions like New York have reduced or eliminated the spread of wild pigs by, in part, banning wild pig hunting. That is insane to me. That's, oh. that's It's cool. Like it's... Maybe the the strongest will survive there, right? They breed like crazy. Yes, they, they do. They just throw the numbers up, like little piglets running around here, little piglets everywhere, and you can't take them out. 
Have so, you ever watched uh, the the uh, the helicopter pig hunting, the wild boar hunting from helicopters? Well, I wouldn't call that hunting. <laughs> yeah, it is. You got you see you shoot a gun out of a moving helicopter and try to pop a pig, and he's running thirty five mile an hour. I wouldn't call that hunting. <laughs> so so okay. So then the question asks uh, begs to be asked is if in fact the approach that we're taking is sort of a hands off, leave them alone, because by hunting them you'll actually help them right. perpetuate. It sounds like trapping is the, is the way so to go. Trapping is the way to go. So, way, so. And if you have an incentive for the trappers, which is a bounty, right. and if they could sell the, the meat to a butcher or something like that, that might be the way to go, right? Because if we don't do anything about it, it's going to get worse and worse and worse, I would assume, but, right? Okay, Mike. Because they're I, an invasive species. Not knowing sure. the full details on the trapping part of it, do you know how they're trapping them? Uh, they, they make these big, they they... They corner them. What I've seen, they they corral them. They corner them into these big, huge pens, big fenced-in areas, mm-hmm. and then they close the fence off somehow. The fence closes by itself. I'm not sure. I'm not sure of that, but it's a big. It's a it's the size of a house or 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 bigger, and it's just a big fenced-in area. And then when they get these pigs in there, it closes off, and you can get thirty or forty pigs in there at one time. And that would constitute the entire gene pool from that family, basically. Right. That's right. why they're saying, and they're doing trying to do that with multiple families. Do it all at once, as opposed to one at a time. Exactly. One at a time will just drive them further, that's, further that's away. That's what it seems like, anyways. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. and it, do you remember though? Back in the day, I don't know if you remember this because you're not, you weren't much. I don't know if you hunted or not, but we used to have a bounty on wolves in Ontario. Of course. Yeah, that was like 200 years. They had that bounty on wolves, yep. and they had to drop it. Now that's a whole different game, right? That's a like when you think about it, these pigs are are destructive, et cetera, et cetera. Wolves really aren't destructive. Yeah. They they kill deer to eat. Now coyotes. You know, they get too many coyotes up. It might be a bit of a problem on the deer population. Have you ever talked to the coyotes or the wolves or the pigs to see if they think they're destructive? I watched that coyote all my life as a kid. (laughs) He never could catch that (laughs) roadrunner. But anyway, so there was bounties um, in uh, in Ontario, as I'm sure. I think think it was like 40 years ago that all bounties on animals in Canada were, that bounty procedure was done. And yet... Here we are. Here we are. So with a bounty, you know, now Alberta is doing this, uh, you know, in these little counties, these little counties are doing bounties. So. And did I mention they're delicious? (gasps) I wouldn't mind going. I'd love to become one of them trappers. How do you become a trapper for wild boar? Great question. We need to find out. As a hunter, which is going to probably be banned, you'd have your, probably your small game license, but you won't be able to do that because they'll probably ban it. So as a trapper, you might hmm. need a pig trapping license. You like hmm. your turkey license, something different. You know, the government can get a bit of money out of you. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Anyway, it's an interesting story. That's a very interesting story. Thank you. Pigs for- are here, folks. Wild pigs are here. And you hear us, you hear Angie and I talking about gobies. You'd hear us talking about zebra mussels. And uh, <laughs> ain't nothing compared to pigs. So look out. Mm-hmm. Don't shoot them. They'll get smart. Uh, world record smallmouth bass when who where you yes uh this is an interesting story you almost had one i had when one, you're looking at these measurements i'm looking at these measurements i'm thinking you know what i might have i might have screwed up you a little bit skirted here skirted the uh, at least the canadian record you wow. know what i mean uh david hayes for those of you who are into world records this is a great story folks stay with us on this one it's, it's a long oh. one but it's really neat uh, he, he caught the world record, uh, smallmouth bass, which officially was weighed in 
at 11 pounds, 15 ounces. See, I would call that a 12 pounder. Wow. You can't. Well, one ounce short. It's closer to 12 than it is 11. It can't be official if it's not right. If it's 11, 15 is right. You'd call it a 12 pounder. Yeah. Hey, I got a 12 pounder. Exactly. Uh, He caught it at Dale Hollow Lake. A legendary smallmouth bass oh, uh, yeah. piece of water. Yep. I've never had the pleasure of seeing it, uh, but I've talked to enough uh, guys who have fished it, and it is legendary. And truly. there's still big smallmouth still coming big out of there small, yeah. every year, like big, like eight pounders. Anyways, it straddles the border between Kentucky and Tennessee. And back in 1955, this David Hayes uh, gentleman, he was out there with uh, his wife and his son. And they were, of all things, trolling. Trolling for, a crankbait. A yeah, white crankbait, right? For smallmouth. Specifically for smallmouth. Because I think that's pretty much all that's in that lake as far as game fish is concerned. Oh, there's largemouth in it for sure. And I think spots, but. Well, there you go. I stand to be corrected then. Thank you for doing that, Mr. Bowman. It's such an eloquent manner. I appreciate that. You're welcome. I'll be stripers too. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, aside from smallmouth, there are. Plenty, uh, and I mean like plenty, plenty uh, of uh, other game fish in Dale Hollow Lake. <laughs> Not that I know anything about that, but apparently Mr. Bowman does. Uh, I'm just, I said I, I, I maybe, you know, maybe. So this fish that uh, David Hayes caught trolling with his wife and kid was 20. Trolling with his wife and his kid? Yeah. I thought he was using a crankbait. <laughs> Boom. Where's that? <laughs> Thank you. Da-da-dum. Try that, <laughs> Jordan. Push. Oh, did you? He did it. All right. I did. I was laughing at the time. <laughs> Anyways, the fish apparently was 27 inches long. <laughs> Jeez. Damn. And even more impressive than that, had a girth of 21 and two-third inches. It's almost as big around as it was long. That's a tank. Wow. That's a tank. That's insane. Anyways, um, it was, uh, it was, uh, 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 became uh, an IGFA record and there was all kinds of uh, accolades thrown at this guy and, and whatnot. And it stood since uh, forever, uh, since 1955. Mm-hmm. And then recently that all changed. Mr. Bowman? Would you well, like to tell us how? A guy, uh, okay, so here's, this is getting kind of crazy. So let's get, let's read this off these sheets here because it gets a little bit, the weigh-in, when he weighed the fish, the fish was too big to put in his cooler first off. Right. Wow. That big, it was a giant, obviously. So he went, uh, he was going to went back to fishing and he needed fuel. He went to Wisdom Resort to fill up and the attendant who filled his tank asked Hayes, if he had any luck, Hayes mentioned he caught a nice smallmouth and showed it to the man. The guy obviously crapped his pants and said, whoa. In, uh, inside the resort, the fish weighed 11.15 on the scale that was not certified at that resort. When he realized he might have had a record, he got in his boat and headed to another resort, Cedar Hill, which had certified scale. They actually had a real, to. honest to goodness, certified scale. It at was weighed resort. there, and it, was, and it weighed, in fact, uh, the 11.15 that, that we have talked said, about. And that was the weight that was used to qualify this fish for this world and, record. And it was mounted. The guy got his skin mounted. mounted. Obviously, it was dead. I mean, he wouldn't fit in his cooler. He's in the bottom of his boat, right? So. so roll forward 41 years. Yes. 41 years. Roll forward 41 years. Mr. Hayes was asked to put this fish on public display at an outdoors show, which in itself is kind of odd, I would think. Who well, the hell well, takes a mount to an outdoor show? Well, but, but it's the world record. 
No, I know. Record, Smalley. All right. I'd put that I would I'll, not I'll be moving my, my house, mount. I would not be moving my mount to to a traveling road show. Well. All right. But anyways, he did. Yeah. And, and that the, alone right there to me says that he didn't tamper with the fish because here it is right there, everybody to look at. So there you go. Okay. Right off the bat. I'm just saying that. Here you go. Yeah. Here's my world record. Well, it's Keep been going. standing for 41 years. Why exactly. Would you, why would you worry about anything? Anyways. Zachary. So he, put, <laughs> so he put it out there, and this is when the problem started. A few people that saw it on display, and there's always people. That, Yay. That fish <laughs> isn't 11.15. <laughs> Angela said it was 12, so obviously it's not 11.15. <laughs> no, it's true. Eh? People naysayers out there, no matter what you do, uh, you know, in your life, there's anyways. So some people started they didn't questioning. Didn't even need the internet then. They probably didn't have the internet back then. Uh, I don't know. Can anybody count? Uh, Forty-one fi- years after fifty-five. 55. Ninety-six or ninety. What the? You did that that quick? I'm pretty good, buddy. Holy shite! Okay. All right. So then they questioned it, and one thing led to another, and then next thing you know, you got you got people jumping in, uh, writers and and all kinds of investigators, and they started looking into it, and they uncovered this um, affidavit from the office of the Corps of Engineers at Dale Hollow Lake that dated back to 1955, which was the year that they got Beautiful. this this record fish. Yeah, in the affidavit. Now, Corps of Engineers, these are very important people. They sound it. These are not just... Uh, I can't even spell that. they got to be important. Yeah. These are very important people. Anyways, in the affidavit, um, Cedar Hill Resort dockhand Raymond Barlow, a.k.a. <laughs> Doughbelly. <laughs> Doughbelly. Yeah. Doughbelly Raymond. Presented a story to authorities where his nephews claimed that Hayes' bass actually only weighed 8 pounds, 15 ounces. This is in an affidavit. In an affidavit. Now, why would that affidavit even exist? Mm -hmm. And why would it be stored with this Corps of Engineers from Dale Hollow? Like, even that. It's controversy to him. He says that fish didn't weigh that, and he signs an affidavit, I guess, saying that. Well, he must have been involved. Obviously, he knew, right? And as it turns out, he did. He was involved with this thing. Mm -hmm. Anyways, bottom line is, you don't need to go through the rest of the 32 pages. It's a, good, it's a good one, but you're right. Well, go ahead. Go no, ahead. no, no, no. I, I agree. It's, uh... Anyways, they, 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 this uh, reporter, uh, uh, Davis, uh, who is a reporter um, for, uh, he's a freelance, but writes uh, various, I guess, articles and stuff. Mm. Various people. Mm. Anyways, he started investigating it, and he tracked down John Barlow, who is still alive. He's now 80 years old at the time. And uh, <laughs> this, I can't even believe some of this. Barlow was given a polygraph test on the incident, which he allegedly passed. Right. So Barlow saying, no, it was only eight pounds and 11 ounces. No, no, no. no. Raymond Barlow. Uh, Doughbelly. Doe Raymond John Barlow. John Barlow. Raymond Barlow. Okay. John Barlow. Yes. Is the one that the affidavit claimed that John and Ira Barlow tampered with the fish. Right. Stuffing weights in it. So this is where the controversy came in. So, oh. So the affidavit actually says, hey, one of them Barlow boys is lying here a little bit or something. So Raymond and John. I think. Raymond and John <laughs> started screwing around with this. Thing. I don't know, buddy. All I know is that somebody said that they're, they signed, he signed an affidavit saying, nah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, even though, even though his and brother, boat parts, boat parts were stuffed into this fish too. They said boat motor parts, like a carburetor or something. <laughs> anyway, bottom line is these two clowns were both saying various contradicting things about this fish, and um, so the IGFA decided that uh, there was enough smoke that there must have been some fire somewhere, and they officially struck that uh, smallmouth, the haze smallmouth, from the books in 1996. Gandhi, right. no more. Right. Oh, but wait. Oh, is there more? I think there's more. Uh-huh. They wanted, so the Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency wanted to launch their own re- investigation on this. Not to let the Barlows get so, away with it. So the Cedar Hill dock worker, Bobby Stone, claims he never saw any signs of tampering with this fish. Oh, who's Bobby Stone? Where'd he but come from? He was from the Cedar Hills. You know, the guy with Cedar Wings there. Oh. Cedar, okay, wait, now I got to go back. See, this is, they said, the story is. <laughs> this is the guy who first saw the fish that ran inside the store and this weighed is, it. No, Cedar no. Hill was the fish confirmed 11 pounds. Yeah. Ordered the record. Just so the second place. Just the record right. place. Right. Not the first one, the second one. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, this is good. Does anybody even care? No, I right. don't think they do care, but it's just it's such a, right. it just shows you how much crap goes on in the world. You know yes. what I mean? Yes. Like, cause, cause like this, like this podcast, like for this example. Like this podcast, this crap is yeah, going around, yeah, hopefully it goes exactly. around the world. Nobody monitors this shit, okay? That's the problem. Should be people they, monitoring this stuff. This guy that they were talking about, John Barlow being an employee, says recall that his brother John was not even a resort at the resort that day of the catch, and he wasn't even a resort employee. So there's all kinds of lying and mis- deceit that's going on here. And wow. I passed the polygraph test. They also the doc had also confirmed the initial reported weight that's there. They went back to get these people as they're really old. And ultimately <laughs> And by the way, folks, can I just interject here for a moment? Because unless some of you we have not been drinking. We should be. We Snoop, should be. Snoop and Rogan were. Were they? Were oh, they? my God. What were they drinking? Well, they were obviously smoking blunts all freaking. Right on there, there right oh, there. Oh, right on there. And then Snoop, Snoop, oh, yeah, what you got there? And Joe <laughs> Joe showed him his, all his booze up on this. He says, that's all brown. He said, I don't drink brown. I can clear stuff. So Joe oh. found something there was clear. They think it was moonshine. They got into drinking <laughs> moonshine, it looked like. <laughs> smoking weed. But uh, By the way, uh, Snoop, back when they did that, rolls his blunts with, with Backwoods. With backwards. With backwards. Gets rid of all the tobacco and puts his good stuff in there. Wow. Yeah, he, good he's, for Snoop. he's graduated up to backwards. Good for Snoop. <laughs> you learn so much in a podcast, don't you? They were drinking, buddy. They and were we ripped. don't. They do and we don't, obviously. I know. Okay. I know. Right. They so, sounded a lot different than us. I'm just saying. Anyways, long story short. <laughs> it's way too I think that ship has sailed, that, buddy. <laughs> that record has been reinstated and is back in the books at 11:15 for the smallmouth world record after all that controversy so when i took those in, those measurements 27 by 21 and two-thirds i threw them into three different fish calculators just before this podcast every one of them comes up like 13 pounds ish something like well, that that, so, that fish is so, huge yeah. it's, i mean the length is impressive but the girth oh yeah. my <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> huge all right george the, the the girth. Oh yeah, the yeah. interesting story so, there too. Uh, I did mention was that uh, Dale said that he had up between two and three hundred feet of line out mm. as he was trolling. Long line on him. So you could okay. imagine how the it. hell. Okay, how in the hell do you land a smallmouth bass? Set the hook back. Then. Set the hook and land a smallmouth bass that was caught two to three hundred feet away from your boat. 
Well, he probably, I bet he was running that old Dacron, black Dacron line. No stretch. And no stretch. And he's probably got those pool key rods. Yeah, those Steel guys used rod. to run heavy duty stuff like that. So that's only, that's only a hundred yards back, less than a hundred yards back. Yeah. Okay. So, so he could have, but I mean, just, and I can't I, get them hooks three, back there. Those are the bad shit. I can't hooks. get a three pounder to the boat without <laughs> losing it. Never mind a 12. It's because you're using six pound test on spinning gear, bud. Get that Dacron in your in your <laughs> arsenal. In my where? In your arsenal. <laughs> Henry Arsenal. Okay. Right. So there's the Dale Hollow Reservoir record smallmouth bass. Still to this day at 11.15. If you want to catch a world record smallmouth, you got to catch Angelo's 12-pounder. Angelo, very quickly, can you just tell us how big that one was you had at Beausoleil Island on Georgia 27 Bay? inches. 27 inches long. Just so everybody know. Uh, I caught a fish years ago. On the end of a place called Beaujolais Island, Georgian Bay, and way back, had no equipment on the boat to verify anything. But I did know that it was a big fish, so I ran around the lake looking for somebody that could give me a tape measure or something that I could. I was pre-fishing for a tournament, by the mm-hmm. way. And uh, I was up there. We were, you were, we were pre-fishing somewhere you guys. too, yeah. yeah. And uh, finally, ran into one of the other competitors and. Uh, he didn't have anything because we we wouldn't be we wouldn't have instruments in the boat to be weighing or measuring fish, especially back then. No, you're pre-fishing. I mean, it's just something you know. But anyways, regardless, um, we ended up measuring this thing out at 27 inches and then releasing it back exactly where I'd caught it. And then it wasn't until a few days later I was talking to an M and R guy and had mentioned that to him, and he said, "Oh my God!" He says, "You let go probably a Canadian record." Well, well, thank you. He says you, you probably let go of a Canadian record. Anybody that has caught a six, seven, or eight pound walleye, that's the length of that fish right there. Yeah. So that's to put it in perspective. Because yeah. yeah. you've probably never seen the 27. I know I've never seen the 27 inch smallmo. So I didn't girth it. So I don't know what the girth was. Wow. Uh, but this, that's insane. obviously, this is a much bigger girth. But, but regardless. Still, it, it was not a fat. I remember it being a. I, I remember saying that's the longest smallmouth bass I've ever seen in my life when yeah. it was in the water. Yeah, but it it wasn't like thick. It wasn't one of those big. But regardless, it was a, yeah. So uh, yeah, they're out there. Uh, Beaujolais, the island. Beaujolais Island, yeah, off the weed a line. Nice weed line, right? The <laughs> oh yeah, southern part of that island. Oh it's just yeah, unbelievable. Buddy. Oh unbelievable. yeah, buddy. All right. How about uh, this week's fan? I'm losing you because you're starting. No, I'm to- gonna go. I'm gonna you uh, do this for now because I'm gonna try and calculate your fish with a different uh, with some smaller smaller girthing. girths. Yeah. So, fan question: What is and this comes to us from Tom Wheatley, submitted uh, via email. Tom Wheatley, thank you very much for this. Uh, what is your opinion on fish mounts? And have Ooh. you guys ever had any done? Oh boy. Oh my goodness. Have we had them done? Of course, everybody's had a fish mount done. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, I have my two, I have, not have, I had, I don't know where they ended up. I had a 21-pound, 6-ounce steelhead mounted. I remember that very well because that won me a Molson's Big Fish Award that year when Molson's was doing those. And I uh, mounted a 10-pound Oh, I can't remember the ounces. Four ounces or six ounces, maybe. Uh, largemouth bass. My very first double-digit largemouth bass I ever caught. 
I wish, I wish we had had that one just oh, to look at in the office here. That'd be cool. It's a big slob. It, it was truly a slob of a looking fish. It's <laughs> grotesque. Um, and several in between. But, yeah, of course, uh, I think everybody that fishes at some point or other in their life has had mounts made. Muskie yeah. especially comes to I, mind. I have, I have a – my first muskie I ever caught was uh, a 48-inch muskie, at a 47 three-quarters out of Rice Lake when I was a young lad, very young. I just started work, so I had some money, and I said, I got to get this mounted. I entered it in the Molson Big Fish Contest, and, and I got it mounted. Nice. Uh, and I had a, a brown trout from Lake Ontario when I was even younger than that, probably 15, 16 years old. And I got a brown trout from Lake Ontario over by Kingston, which is really rare back then. And it was a 10, 10 and a half pounder, I think, like that. So I've had those, and they were both skin mounts. The fish are dead, obviously. Yeah, that, that was the you sad know. part about yeah. that era. But we didn't know. We didn't right? know. I mean, like the only way you're going to get a mount is to kill the fish, right? Right. And back in those days, let's be honest, catch and release wasn't, wasn't as prominent as it is now, right? We Back then, we were just learning, and, and the fishing industry was getting bigger, and the fishing numbers were getting bigger. So nowadays, obviously, the replica mount is the way to go. I mean, let's, let's be honest. You take your measurements, just like we were talking about length and girth, and then you uh, you take a lot of pictures of your fish so that the, the taxidermist, can, the artist, can uh, portray that as best he can, and they get a, you pick out the mount, and you can have everything done, and you release your fish. That's By the, the way, something part. else we forgot about that story was that uh, the reason that those clowns at the country fair that saw it uh, said, hey, what's wrong with that fish? The because the coloring was off. And, yeah. and what had happened was that Dale had sent this off to be uh, mounted in another state. Oh. And the taxidermists there used their, used their local coloration. coloration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And therefore, it didn't match the Dale Hollow coloration oh, and that's where these guys started thinking i don't know what exactly hey bill what do you uh, think of that they thing? didn't have the internet back then did they yeah, uh, no interweb to go check that out <laughs> that's a good point that's a good point and that tells you how accurate uh, how critical the when you get a fish mounted how critical the look of it is right the paint job it, it needs to be accurate not every spot on a on a trout or, well, or something like that, but close, right? Yeah, close. So if you take, if you yeah. take detailed uh, pictures. Yeah, that's the whole uh, thing. Now you got your phone. Yeah. We all yep. carry a camera with us on the boat nowadays. No excuse. You take your pictures and you, you go, by the way, I took your, your fish. Yes. I put an 18-inch girth on it. So sure. let's just go. How, would, how would 18 like look? Would that be a? I don't know. Yeah. You know, nine and uh, eight and a half up and then half an inch across. That was 10.94 pounds. So and that's just an 18 uh, 27 inch by 18 and i don't think it'd be 18 because that sounds pretty skinny to me is it so let's do a 19 uh, inch girth and with the 19 inch girth 12.18 pounds and that would definitely be a canadian record if you had well, that's what the mnr guy said i mean he now he didn't know the girth all right just knew the length he asked me well it's kind what of proportionate like? too it, you know, yeah because a well, a skinny walleye at twenty seven. Yeah, inches, what's what's the girth of a of a, 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 a skinny walleye at twenty seven inches is is a seven pounder, seven eight. So I don't know what the girth would be. I could I could do that for you while you're talking. You here. ever girthed a walleye? Said, no, I haven't. To be oh yes, I have the uh, the giants out in Bay of Quinty. I've seen some of those. Okay, so what are they? Oh God, thirty four inch. It was thirty four inches long. Massive fish. Massive fish. And I'm thinking 19 to 20 inch girth. And that's big around. Like that's a big around walleye. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. 
So it might have been I, I seventeen, it was 19 eighteen. Quarters, yeah, I don't know. It was big, biggest I'd ever seen, and never saw another one like it. By no, the way. and I doubt you're ever <laughs> going to. To be honest no with kidding. you, you know what I mean. So no kidding. So anyways, so there you go. I'm gonna do a nineteen. I'm gonna do a walleye, a, a thirty-four by nineteen walleye. Yeah, that's when he says eleven point two three. That's not right. Well, maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong on that one. I can't remember. Who knows? Anyways, uh, Tom, uh, yes, we have uh, we have, and and opinions on fish mounts. Obviously, uh, the graphite ones are the way to go. I don't even know if anybody's doing any skin mounts anymore. I think they still do, believe it or not. Really? Yeah. I really think they do, but they certainly shy away from it. I don't think taxidermists they don't want to do it, right? right? But if you're bringing a dead carcass to them, they're going to take your money. That's what they do, right? They need yeah. some business. So, but and the prices haven't gone down, by the way. No, 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 no. More, more replica, than everyone's. replica mount is going to cost you for sure. Mm-hmm. But you know what? It's a it's it's a piece of art. And where do you put these art. pieces of art nowadays? Well, some. I mean, even you put them in coffee tables now. They're making coffee yeah, tables true. with the mounts inside them. It looks like two steelhead in a stream or something. It's gorgeous. That's yeah, advanced I, taxidermy. I they yeah. they do. If anybody wants to look at some real artistic ta- uh, taxidermy, go to Advanced Taxidermy. I think they're in Toronto or somewhere mm-hmm, in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. It is, they're, they're, they're artists. It's unbelievable, the stuff they do. So, um, yeah. So, I, I, I'm all for replica mounts. I don't like the idea of skin mounts anymore, even though I got a couple that I've done. But, you know, regretfully so. Live and learn. All right. There you go, Tom Wheatley. All right, Tom. Thanks, buddy. Anybody Good have man. any questions at all, uh, please send them in to uh, Fish in Canada dot com or info at Fish in Canada or anywhere. Anywhere where you have a connection with Fish in Canada. And let us, yeah, ask us. I mean, that's a, that's a good question. You know what that's I mean? That's a great question. You know? No I, is that past. correct, Jordan? Anywhere uh, they want to send the questions to? Oh, Jordan. Yeah, uh, Sorry, I had to turn off the um, the monitor speakers. Otherwise, the air conditioner. feedback. Oh, that's a good excuse. I, I, I will buy that, buddy. Okay, that's perfect. Problem. But yes, that is correct. You send us an email. You can message us on Facebook. You can anywhere send us mail. And does, it, and does it have to be specifically for the podcast or can't they just say, Hey, fishing Canada guys, I was just sitting here reading my papers and I have an idea. I thought I'd ask you a question. Sure. I, I right? think we, you and I'd accept that. Absolutely. When I get past Jordan, he might I say, know, ah, get out of here. That's what I'm worried about. See? about that. That's no, exactly we, what I'm worried about. We would accept that. I just have to wait a little while for their answer, but oh. yes. it'll be in a podcast. All right. That's right. Listen up. Listen up. Okay. Well, thank you, Jordan. Uh, you can continue doing whatever it was you were doing. Okay. A great well. job, Jordan. Thank a you. great job. Thank you, Pete. Oh, You're welcome. Oh, oh <laughs> nice one. <laughs> you know, you got to keep your voice happy. Right. Uh, God. Carry on. No, no. So Dean put together this uh, this show with those news pieces, which are fun. Dean and, and Taylor, some, by the way. We keep Dean referring Taylor. to Dean and Jordan. Well, not everybody would know them. Uh, right. Jordan Taylor, too? Jordan Taylor? His brother. A, yeah. <laughs> the, the Taylor brothers. No, him and, and Jordan, they do about so much some, work. Uh, about some fishing, uh, little bits of, and bites of fishing information that people, when Ann's and I do these podcasts by ourselves, we just want to sort of let you guys in on tricks and tricks of the trade, stuff like that. So maybe a, an extension to a fan question, if you would. Um, one, the first thing you wrote up was fixing soft plastics on your boat. Now, soft plastic baits nowadays are not like they used to be in the sense of materials and especially the sense of price. Um, I, I think you'd agree with that, Mr. Angelo. That, uh, I he, saw a plastic tube the other day. I almost had a coronary 
A tube? A tube for twelve dollars. Like, US. For what size of tube? A smallmouth tube? Like a three and a half? Well, no, these are big tubes. These big, are like, oh, like musky tube, right? Not uh, quite like our big, you know, the big yeah? fat ones we know. Yeah. These are long, slender, kind of a weird, a different, it's a new style of tube. Right? Is that thing okay there? That's Flair, Ryan Flero calling. Oh, uh, my and, God. And I don't, don't never answer. mind. I'm not going to talk about Ryan Flero <laughs> right now. So I, got, I took a great, uh, I got a picture of him for you to okay. look at later on. But anyways, um, and anyways, this tube was 12 bucks US. And they come two to a bag. So it's 24 bucks. Come on. I'm not kidding you. I well, almost then, bought it. I'd be honest with you. My, I, if I thought my credit card would hold it, I, would, I was going to buy it. <laughs> I think it was a little short. Oh, but, oh, God. my God, yes. Where well, are we going? That is uh, the perfect segue. to this. Another one is the, the Yamamoto products that are out. Yes. They're fantastic. Absolutely. Fantastic products. But look at this. We're getting phone calls from everybody. I know. I see it. Um but again, they're pricey. They, they work excellent, but they're pricey. The, the Senko is over a buck a pop. They're, they're, uh, the craw that we use, uh, one of the craws is two bucks a piece, $10 for a pack of five. You know what I mean? So, so it's getting to the point of when they split and they do split, what do you do? Do you throw them in the garbage? Or do you? Who are you asking, me or somebody else? Yeah, I'll ask you. What do you want to do? Fire what fire what do I do? Yeah, I fire them in the corner of the boat where I know you're going to pick them up and you're going to fix them up, <laughs> and you're going to you give them to some poor family that you know can't afford to buy new senkos. And I know you do a lot of charity work in that area, and here's you, my used baits. Here's yeah, Angelo's and, used baits, yeah, everybody. And you and you look after that for me. Uh, well, to a point, he's right. We do yeah. fix them up if we can, because because you know what. Not only, let's just say you're out on a boat and we're, we got a color that's working real well and we're down to our last four and it's working great and we're catching them. And um, you got 10 of them that are split in half out there. You got to fix them. If you fix them, you can get away with it. You can get away with another half a day's fishing. The two ways we do it. The first one is, is dangerous-ish. And you got to have it. It's called a torch lighter. You torch the bastard and you, and you, and you melt them. And we do it all the time, but it's not... It's not the best way of doing everything like that. I know um, Mike Nabolzi, he does that for his big uh, bass magnet lures. He does that with these musky size baits and it works great for that. And he knows what he's doing too. So, but you got to know what you're doing. There's a comp- there's a company out there is a product called mend it. You're thinking super glue is no good. It doesn't do it. It doesn't do the right job. Uh, super. Why glue, is that? Why because- is super glue? I, I've seen people hanging from their Hey, hat, 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 hard hats from their hard hat with a piece of wood, of a right? Twenty story building, a nice steel and, girder. Yes, with that piece of with wood, a steel, right. exactly. That's and yet, the, you can't fix a single with it. These baits aren't made of steel. There's no steel girder in there. Oh. There's there's no piece of wood there like oh. that. There's all the salt impregnation in there. Oh, there's all this stuff that makes this stuff glue temporarily, but fall apart very quickly. So this stuff called mend it, mend it, M E N D. IT. This is an amazing product. You paste it on, you take a little brush, you put it on each side of your brake. It melts instantly, starts melting the plastic and fuses it together. Have you tried contact cement? Uh, no, I don't want to mix that up out in the boat. Number one, cause you have to mix it. Don't no, you? No, 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 no. Contact cement, no. premium, good old fashioned made in the U S of A. The other concern you have is stink. Mend it apparently is odorless. Ah, and you know these fishies. I was going to say, don't smell that. Actually, somebody said, asked me if I was wearing cologne today. 
Who I call that? that stink. Who asked you that? Somebody out there asked me, are you wearing cologne today? Are you and Jordan hugging again this morning, well, having your morning hug? Been, oh, my. <laughs> yeah. So, scent is another thing, right? Crazy glue stinks. All these glues stink. Ah. And men, it apparently doesn't. And, and if anybody doesn't know, a fish's olfactory organs, uh, their, their sense of smell is uncanny. It's better than a dog's. It's as good as a deer's. A, a pig? As good as a is, how does it compare to a pig? I don't know if it's you know, a pig. pigs can. They use pigs in France to to root out truffles because their sense of smell is so strong. Get out! I'm not kidding you. They don't I use dogs. It. They use pigs. So, so their when sense, I the sense of smell is even better than a dog. When I asked you that, I already knew. I was setting you up to fail. Okay, I was setting you up to say, well, no, pigs don't smell. And I was going to tell you that in France. <laughs> they use pigs to get truffles. For God's sakes. Uh, well. I believe that right. because I think we are the most uh, primitive smellers out there. Thank I'm you. not bad. I got a pretty good sniffer on me, but you, you're you're horrible. You oh, can, I'm horrible. I can. I, I'm always walking into a room going, "You can smell it." I could but, do a doo doo with my pants, and I would never know. <laughs> you're lucky then. <laughs> Anyways, mend it. If you're if you're looking for it, folks, it's hard to find. It's expensive, but it's so handy to have on your boat to uh, to repair some plastic base when you're in a. When you're in a, a pinch, you know what I mean? And you need that last two fish. You got another half hour's fishing time in a tournament. Stuff is magic. Okay. Okay. So you don't recommend welding it, uh, melting it with the torch? Yes. Oh, if you don't have any mend it, then take ah. a little torch lighter and be very careful because you're going to learn real quick how hot a torch lighter gets because you're going to have to hold your little pieces of plastic together. And if you do it by yourself, you're going to get some burnt finger on there. So we don't want to be responsible for you to do that. So, And you would have this lighter on you because why out and about? What would you possibly doing, doing do? doobies. Okay. Just asking. <laughs> I'm just curious why, because I don't carry one. So I, I, I carry lots of them because I have the odd cigar out in the boat as well. Oh, so, the odd cigar. The odd cigar. And right. then I've tried to glue my cigar back together with the mendit, but it didn't it work. Did work either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I have, lots of, I have lots of torch lighters, but I do carry them for that reason of um, Mending bait if I don't have mend it with me, but I always have mend it with me. I try to always have mend it with me. All right. Number two on Dean's list of things that he thought you should know uh, is finding bait without a fish finder. Come on. You can do that? Well, apparently it can be done. Uh, according to an article on fishingcanada.com. The first one has an article on fishingcanada.com as well. Well, why didn't so. you tell folks that? I forgot completely. Well, let's tell them right now. Let's go back here. Let's start that. Let's start that whole piece over again. We'll say this is from a uh, an article that you can find on fishingcanada.com. Okay, and it's called "Fixing Soft Plastics on the Boat." I don't think that's exactly what it's called, but it's close. There you go. Anyways, uh, yeah, finding fishingcanada.com. There is an interesting article there. (laughs) In fact, there's a 2014 episode produced by fishing canada called shallow northern phenomenon oh i remember that one i watched that happen i sat beside the guy that was phenomenoning <laughs> <laughs> and where was that uh KB, that was a geeches kb cabins if you want to what's the name of the lake that was called cabin lake there you go you tried to catch me on that didn't you you're such an ass <laughs> And uh, and uh, we use this something we use all the time. It's not just a, an isolated case. Although in that particular episode, it was truly, if you were ever going to set up uh, a, a scenario where seeing uh, surface activity and birds uh, uh, 
diving into the surface of a, of, of a water body to find fish. God. This would have been it. This, this it it gets you so excited. Mm. When you see bird activity above and then fish there, surface activity so, on the, on the surface. It's like nothing else. Let me just tell you how this whole, that, how that episode happened, by the way. So we're on this lake. First time we'd ever been on it. What's the lake called? Uh, 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 Cabanacagagami. Cabanacagagami. I'm gagging. You're right gagging now. on that. How do, how do you say it? Cabinacagami. Cabinacagami. Wow. Oh, you got it. Yeah, That's the way I say it. That's well, okay. You're like, is it, you're, what are you, a genius now? You're because a linguistic Because some expert? say it, cabin akagami, and that doesn't sound right to me. It sounds better, cabin agagami. Well, you would You would think that uh, coming from uh, uh, your uh, formal education being from Port Hope. Let's be honest uh, about it. Never went to school in Port Hope. You didn't go to Port Hope? Napanese. Napanese. Okay, okay Napanese, sorry. That's the place to be, buddy. <laughs> Anyways. So we were, we were uh, as they say, second hind titty on this. Uh, I think we'd spent two days on this lake. You had one giant in the boat. One. But that was it. Like one yeah. beautiful pike, yeah. northern pike, big one. But that so was it. So we're taking a, a little break. It was lunch break one day, one of the days. And the owner of the establishment was out looking for us, and he found us and wanted to know how we were doing. And we said, well, to be honest with you, Stu, she's a tough old lake. He says, I know it's been hard the last few weeks. Wish you had been here, you know, like three weeks ago. <laughs> oh, oh my God, they were jumping in the boat. We get that a lot, by the way. And uh, it seems like as soon as we get to a lake, it dies. I don't know what, what that's all about. Yeah, it's, yeah, it does seem like that, doesn't it? But anyway, so he said, so what do you, what do you, can I help you look for anything? And what I went, well, yes, no, not really. I mean, I, we said to him, are there any, parts of this lake that you have either never fished or fished once or twice a long time ago and it was really good and you haven't been back because you haven't had time in other words we're looking for something new because he had given us all of his regular spots right and that's what we had gone through the last day and a half and uh, they were <laughs> none of them were working so we said have you got anything you never it's because all the guests before us went to those of, regular of spots course. right and that's, that's the problem the with with uh, in some cases, lodge fishing, and that is that you know the guests are put onto the hot spots, but and those spots were yeah. are or were hot yeah. even in the, earlier in the year they're hot, but they get beat up pretty good with pressure. So that's exactly why. So he's that. thinking, and he says, "No, he says, well, there's one spot. When I was coming out here, I was wondering whether I should go and have a look at it because I could see there was like a whole bunch of birds. He says, I don't know what they were going after, but there was." Like just a, a hundred birds diving in the water in this one spot. Pete and I both, as soon as he said that, we both birds? looked. Birds? I said, birds? <laughs> Where? He saw just about there, you know, you go up there about three miles and over to the left and behind that bay and there's a point. And, a, and um, so we just skedaddled over there. And oh my God. It was unreal. It was, it was absolutely unreal. The biggest and probably the most I would say the most unique of these finds we've ever had. And we've had a lot of them, mm -hmm. but this one was unique in that it just didn't stop. Yeah. See, normally what'll happen, it'll stop. You get into those areas, especially midwater, uh, open water areas where, where the bait is just all balled up and these huge balls and they're being worked from the bottom by the predator fish in the area. And they're being worked from the top by all of the birds. Yeah. And, 
it's great while it lasts, but it never lasts anywhere near long enough. You're in and it's done. This one, it went on and on and into the next day. Mm -hmm. And all in less than five feet of water, really. In less than five feet of water. So, um, yeah, when you're on a body of water, whether you're doing well or not doing well, always be cognizant of birds on the surface. Bird if activity. Yeah. Bird activity. If they're crashing on that surface and they're mm. feeding like crazy and they're, there's more than one of them, chances are real good they're working a, a, yeah. a fish ball, a bait ball. Don't be fooled by, let's say, a flock of cormorants or something like that, that which eat fish, by the way, but they're not feeding. They're just swimming. You don't want divers. Yeah, <laughs> just You want them, if, if there's cormorants that are on the water and they're all going a different, you see the water frothing and they're plunging down and coming back up, plunging down and coming back up. That means they're after something. If they're just cruising around, you're going to be attracted to that flock of birds, but you're not, you're not going to get anything happening because they're not on debate. They're just out there resting or whatever they're doing. So it's got to be, it's a massive amount of activity. We, we saw it once. Another great example was um, in PEI on tuna. Remember oh that, that my day? God. I, I, I swear to God it's the most phenomenal thing I have ever seen in, in the world of fishing. We, we saw hundreds of 500 pound plus tuna crashing through these baits of, of mackerel or whatever it was. And then the gannets on the top were pushing them down too. So it was just, it was, a, uh, and we followed the, and I, remember how fast they were moving? Like the school was, the, the school was moving at 20, 10, 10 mile an hour, at least pushing the bait, just following the bait along. The bait was obviously scared of the tuna and the birds. And it was just un, unreal. We couldn't catch one of them, by the no. way. We did not get no. one of those fish, No, but it was we just. We couldn't get near them. Right? Yeah, and they were moving. Yeah, we were trying to get in, in. We were trying to intercept them. We stopped the boat and wait. Say, okay, maybe they'll come here, and then they uh, they miss it. And oh my yeah. god, hundreds of five hundred to a thousand pounds uh, tuna. But on most lakes, freshwater lakes, um, you 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 can get in there and and catch fish uh, in these areas. Yeah, yeah. we just don't stay know how back. Long it'll last. Stay back and keep yeah. going with your trolling motor or drift in or something. Don't go in. Go crash in with your big motor. Because you'll scare everything for sure. So. And in essence, what's happening is that the fish are hurting their bait, their food. And in order to try and and, uh, and move into areas where they won't be eaten, the fish head for the surface. And, of course, the surface is like a, a brick wall, right? Uh, mm -hmm. They can't go any farther. Any further. And so the fish from below just start pushing them and and getting them into a tighter and tighter configuration so that they can go in and slash and get a mouthful and yep. come out and somebody else goes in and slashes and gets a mouthful. That's right. As they're doing this, the birds are seeing all this from the sky well, and they're, they're taking it. They're working together. They're exactly. definitely working together. Exactly. It's craziness. And so it's a, it's a ball. It's a great, uh, but anyways, the episode was uh, produced in 2014 and it's called shallow Northern phenomenon on fishingcanada.com. Yeah. Check it out. Well, uh, check You'll it out. see exactly what Angel's talking about there and how he, uh, how he dealt with it and some great top water action too. And there it was, uh, it was, it was insane. Never seen anything like it, for sure. We interrupt this program to bring you the much-anticipated bonus code for the latest Fishing Canada giveaway. This week's code is CAMPFIRE. That's CAMPFIRE. Just type that in the bonus code section of the contest and receive 100 free entries towards our latest Coleman giveaway. And now, back to the show. Next thing on his list, uh, on his, uh, drop shotting. Very, very uh, effective bass fishing and 
to some point walleye fishing technique, but it's pretty popular in the bass world and especially smallmouth bass world. Drop shotting is where you take a nice light line. It's very finessey. You take a light line. You have a hook that's about a foot, 18 inches above the above the tag end of your line and on that ta- bottom end of your tag line, you have a sinker. So that, that shot is what they call the shotting is the shot or the weight hits the bottom and this little plastic bait normally is... 12, 6, 12, 18 inches above the bottom and you can kind of shake it in one spot. And it's really a great technique. Everybody knows what probably what drop shotting is. I probably don't even have to say this, but drop shotting, that's with plastics, drop shotting live bait. Not very many people do that one. I was curious. I was going to ask you if you had heard of people using it for ice fishing, live bait hmm. on a drop shot. Aside from myself, I did it for Rainbow Trout this year. Yeah. But no, because it would be to me, it would make sense. It would be mm-hmm. the perfect, mm-hmm. the perf- especially with the electronics that we have today, yes. because you can actually lengthen or shorten your lead on the drop. The, the one you know? thing I read, and it makes sense mm-hmm. as to why drop shotting wasn't preferred by ice fishermen, is that by putting the, the weight above your live bait, your minnow, it gives that minnow freedom to swim around all over the place because it's under the hole, right? Because you're not really working it. You're just leaving it on a set line. You're leaving it still completely. So now your that, minnow has- Is that weight on the bottom or you just- No, the weight water? is- the, the, You drop the weight to the bottom, then you lift it up so that your minnow is above the bottom right. as well. Right. So now he's got some freedom to move around underneath yeah. th- that weight versus the drop shot. He will be confined to that, to little, that little area. So that's yeah. one thing I read about for ice fishing. Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it doesn't work because we caught a rainbow trout doing it this year um, by drop shotting a little minnow. So that's the case. But the place we, the place we discovered it, uh, we were fishing on um, Esnagami Lake. No, Esnagi Lake, Esnagi Lake, Lodge 88, correct? Yeah. And we were fishing in the daytime and popping the walleye really good on jigs, jigging a, jigging a leech. Jig and live bait, but jig and leech in particular, right on the bottom. They were, they, they were locked on the bottom with the fish finders. You could see that they were right down there and all that. As about six o'clock rolled by five, six o'clock in the evening, all of a sudden these fish literally without us really noticing it moved up about a foot, foot and a half off the bottom walleye. And, uh, and Andrew was saying, okay, they're off, they're stopping biting and they're up off the bottom here now. Okay. Look at, look at the fish finders. Okay. So he just nonchalantly went in and tied up a drop shot rig and put a live leech on a drop shot rig. So mm. now, so now his sinker is still on the bottom where my jig was, but his bait is up eighteen inches off the bottom. Thump, thump, thump! It just turned on like Isn't crazy. That funny how it was unreal. Finicky fish are right. It's, it, it Six is. inches below them. Yeah, they weren't even going to go. Don't even it. look at it. It's almost like they just rose up and they're ready to feed and ready to eat and what's yeah. in front of me and they don't want to have on that bottom. So, I mean, obviously I think it's a, a very lethargic fish that we were getting on the jigs. You know, they yeah. were just dropping in front of me and said, hey, I better eat that versus I'm up off the bottom now, I'm ready to eat and they see your leech and they go over and grab it. You know what I mean? That's where we discovered it. That was fun. And it was like- Every drift. Eh? Oh Every my drift, God. Boom, boom, and boom, boom. they were, it's not like they were little two pounders. These were like three to seven mm. or eight pounders, uh, you know, for consistent- uh, yeah. Two hours of fishing. It was absolutely phenomenal. So, um, and I think a leech is probably the best one because it's a good summertime technique. Leeches, uh, worms are good too, but leeches are so fun to drop shot with, right? They're oh, just yeah. they're just a great little. But bait. you can't beat worms, so you got to you got to admit. Yeah, I think 
You know, maybe the perch. I guess perch hit leeches too. I was going to say perch. You get be a pain in the ass with with a worm, but but uh, that that live leech on a drop shot. And don't try and get not too heavy a weight if you can help it. Just enough to get you on the bottom and uh, drifting. We were drifting there very slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, you can do it right below the boat. You can cast it as long as you lob cast and don't lose your live bait. If you did a really nice lob cast, very effective. I mean, obviously you're not in a tournament, but anytime you're out fishing for fun, for food, whatever, it's a fantastic technique live bait on a drop shot is that on uh, fishingcanada.com um well i no, uh-huh. don't think so is it apparently we don't uh, have it listed here but apparently we do okay uh, i heard uh, somebody said uh uh-huh. i'm assuming that that's man. that mr fishing canada guy yeah mr fishing right. canada i guess just go to fishing canada look for live bait drop shotting it'll probably happen there just trust us in this one folks it it works well look up drop shotting if uh, you, if you haven't done it yet and then just stick a nice little leech through the sucker. Don't don't hook a leech through the uh, other to the butt end, to the tail end. Put it through the sucker, the little sucker thing. And don't be intimidated by leeches because those little bastards, although they do sucker onto you, you don't be intimidated by them. <laughs> I you remember, I remember the first time. Oh God, where were we? Where were we? Your first time that you? Oh, I didn't like them. Where the hell were we? Got it all on tape. It was hilarious. Oh, really? Don't you remember? No, I, I, I know I would have been intimidated by that. Oh, like, man. It was like years ago. I'm talking 30 years ago. Yeah. I think we were in Manitoba. Oh, maybe. Somewhere. And the uh, the old leech bucket came out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I soon found out Mr. Bowman and leeches were not on a first name basis. No, sir. <laughs> it took me a bit of time to get used to them. So it took me a long time to get used to them. And I don't know why. They don't hurt. No. They don't hurt at all. Like when they latch on to you, it's just freaky. And they, and they latch on quick. Eh? you just like, whoosh, they got you. And they're, then they're sucked on to you. But, but uh, one, one of my favorite techniques but i used to do folks in case you are intimidated by leeches is you let them latch onto your thumbnail you hold them in a, in a fashion where he can turn around and he sucks onto your thumbnail then you just stick your hook and dig it underneath his, his sucker and that and you can pull it right without even getting you make it skin. sound very easy but it's not <laughs> it's that not, easy it's not because they're, they're slimy too they're they're strong they're muscular and they're slimy and yeah they can and now i got no problem with them but uh, but back then yeah i didn't like them I, I was used to parasites back then, so it was. Uh, it was <laughs> you were okay. yeah. You were giving the yeah. leeches, were you? Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, speaking of which, Senko on a chatterbait. Yeah. Why did Gene have to write? Uh, Dean have to write that out there. Now yeah, everybody wanted, knows. Now everybody's going to start throwing that. Oh, okay. Let's scratch that right off. Okay. Hang on. Let me just take Wait. that right there. Maybe scratch. we can get that number right four, off the podcast. Number four. Senko on a chatterbait is no longer uh, on this sheet. We're not going to discuss the fact that it. Uh, it works. So Dean must have got this. I'm not sure where he got this from, but it's, a, it's actually a great idea because we have run, Ange and I have run swim sankos on a mm, chatterbait. Mm-hmm. A swim sanko is basically the same idea as what most people run on chatterbaits. A vibrating jig chatterbait uh, is what they're called. And it's got a little boot tail, a little paddle tail on it. It has a swimming tail on its own. Or you can run sort of a, a V type of tail, like a regular fishing looking tail, fish tail. And they all work nice and well. But the sanko idea is actually... Uh, it's actually kind of neat because you got to think about how soft the Senko is. If you put a five inch, even a four inch, but a five inch Senko off the back of a, a chatterbait, he's, he's uh, looking at it like the dragon tail fly patterns that are commonly used when the fly fishermen for bass and pike. 
And then I thought, you know what? That tail wagging back and forth like that. It would look like a dog's tail or a rat's tail or something like that. You know what I mean? So you, got, probably, you got the jig itself doing one of these, yeah. and you got the tail doing one of these. That's, them, that's what I'm thinking. It's like the, right? You yeah. Got, you got, you're doing one of these. <laughs> I wish I had a camera to show that right there what he was just doing. But it's actually not a bad idea. You know, now the problem again, you better bring your mend it because you're probably going to be breaking some of that stuff. These, uh, uh, a Senko is a very soft bait. So it might be a hard, maybe you might, might want to even, well, if you use an imitation though, it might not be the same action. So you, you might be stuck with that one. I don't I don't know. It'd be hard because they're to so say. soft, right, yeah. and so subtle yeah. that that they. Uh, but anyways, a chatter on the uh, sink on the back of a chatterbait. I like the I like that idea, Dino. I think that's a good one. I think that, that was be, number four. I'm going to use that Senko on chatterbait. Number five. Oh, on our list. My uh, heavy fluorocarbon as a pike leader. Fantastic. What do you think? Really, do you like it or no? What's um, your opinion. This is this is for. Big pike, I'm assuming. Yeah, we're pike, and musky, yeah right? pike and musky. Yeah, pike and musky. You know me, I I, 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 I like a, a bit of wire. You do, eh? I like a bit of wire. That uh, that uh, tiger tail stuff tiger that you can tail. buy. Yeah, the it's that real that? thin, ultra-thin stainless steel oh, wow. that you can actually tie a knot in it. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Like the not-too-kinky stuff like that? Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's that Terminator too. makes one? Yeah. This one tie-able. I use is fire tail. And AFW called. makes one as well. And they got, they're and all tieable titanium. To me, that, that, that's really the way to go. Really, eh? Uh, very, very, very small profile, mm-hmm. like ultra thin profile. And uh, you just can't bite. You can't bite. A fish can't bite through it. Plain so and simple. Give me this. We'll, we'll go back to fluorocarbon in a minute because yeah. this is interesting. Yeah. Using this tieable leader, because I use it as well, but mm-hmm. I do some probably maybe a little different than you. I'm not sure. I don't like tying. Tieable leader to my line, especially like a fluorocarbon line. You know what I mean? If I'm mm-hmm. running 17 pound fluoro, I just have this thing about tying a titanium leader material to that. that it's going to cut you into my it's fluorocarbon. Too thin and, and not only that, but it's going to straighten out in the sense that if you put too much pressure on it, the little loop that you did in the tie, it'll, it might, it, it'll, something yeah, might give. Yeah. I don't know. You know what I mean? I, um, I, if, if I have worries about that, I'll use these. Small, tiny, but even there, you have to be careful because you know you're only as strong as the weakest link in that chain. Right. right. Uh, I will use a little tiny um, swivel, but that's tiny, exactly what I do. Ultra tiny. That's but, what I do. But the problem with ultra tiny swivels is that they're rating, right? They're a twenty pound test rating. Exactly. So, so you, you you've got a, this wonderful hundred pound test steel titanium leader that's hooked up to your main line via a 20 pound test little ring yeah yeah right the other thing i don't like about it is when you're tying your bait on you can't change your baits that's a big problem you know what i mean so that's a big what i do is i like buying that that tieable titanium and then just making my own leaders with what you said with a small small swivel and a small snap snap, on it and you make your own then you got custom leaders of whatever weights you want because you can make you can buy that stuff in 12 pound tests so it's nice and light or you can buy it in like answers up to 100 if you want it so just get the correspondent but you can go a lot smaller than the usual swivels and snaps on that stuff and that makes it a a much more workable product i I just find that it um as long as it doesn't get kinked up on you okay it just is so much more workable. It usually doesn't kink, right? As yeah. a rule, it doesn't. Eh, kink, so usually, it, it, yeah, yeah uh, but it can. it can. But but if it doesn't, um, it's so much more pliable. So much. I don't know. I just like it better than a big fifty pound fluorocarbon line. But 
having said that, that's the go-to is it's the go-to like right, right. now, the musk, the musky fraternity, like they're a hundred to 120 pound test fluorocarbon leader, like an 18 inch for casting or something like that. And a, and a 24 or bigger for trolling. They, they like to use longer tro- uh, leaders for trolling. And they're, they're tying that to hundred pound, 80 to hundred pound braid too. Right. So you yeah. got a real heavy duty. Now to, I actually like those big fluorocarbon leaders. I like their, I just, they're very workable. They seem, I don't know if they're invisible or not, but at that, at that size, you know, it's supposed to be invisibility is all about it, but they are the diameter of a hundred pound test fluorocarbon is pretty big, right? You know, this whole notion of invisibility, I think sometimes we get so carried away with it. Well, think about we get what so I was just saying. You're, ta- you're throwing a pounder. You're throwing 16 ounce giant bulldog fluorescent Ex- orange. Exactly. Uh, with the passages. Go, it hits the, yes, appendages everywhere. everywhere. And it's it, got making that. noise. And, and, and you're and worried shit. about fish in your leader? Uh-uh. That's right. why I, I think that that's why this 120 pound, like Yuzuri makes one called top knot uh, leader, uh, fluorocarbon leader material. It's hundred percent super fluorocarbon. They call it, they use it just, they sell it just for leader material. And you can buy it in heavy weights like that. And, and you, and you basically make your own leaders. You, you put your own swivels on. Or your I own will have to try that, like that this year. Yeah. I will try that stuff. You know, I think we have some, so yeah. it's a, uh, uh, I, I don't mind fluorocarbon leaders, but you got to, the one like thing I like about it is you get to tie your own. And you know you did a good job on your crimps and on your like you don't t- you don't knot this stuff when it's that heavy you don't knot it you use crimping tools and crimps on that because it's just the knots just, you can't even cinch it up with over two wraps you're you're done you're euchred so so but you can and, put some and, teffer, and, some effort some time and effort effort into it hey pretty good <laughs> some effort some effort into it <laughs> and that's all well and good if you're pre-building this stuff before you go out for the day but the last thing you want to do is eat up you know. Any any available time that you have for that day, eat it up tying up leaders. Mm-hmm. So, if you're pre-tying them, then the fluoro is good. What I like about this this uh, titanium stuff is that you can do it roundabout. Yeah. You 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 boom boom boom. Oh boom. yeah, the knots are pretty quick, aren't yeah. they? Boom, boom, yeah, boom boom boom, and you're done. And uh, that's yeah. what I love about it. But anyways, you know, it's all a matter of uh, of uh, preference. I think at some point too. I still, even though I just said we're going way too far with this invisibility thing, mm-hmm. I'm still so super sensitive about that. I get oh paranoid. You, my God, you used to I kill get me when you go to tournaments and you throw that six pound fluorocarbon on there. And I you, get and paranoid. It's like man. oh my God, Ange, can and you not so go to stupid. eight, please? Not ten, you know. It's I, so stupid. Uh, it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah. Get your bites right. I, I've noticed lately. Speaking of, we'll just go into this very quickly because we're talking about fluorocarbon. I've noticed lately that I feel I can get as many bites on eight pound test fluoro as I can on six pound. Now maybe it's because the old six pound fluoro I used. It was years ago that I went to six pound. Right now I'm using uh, eight pound test Yozuri, for instance, and I think I'm getting as many bites. I can't see getting any more bites when they're going to commit. As long as things are looking natural in my in my mind above the water they're hitting it so i think that uh you know maybe a little too much in the six pound four pound you know what i mean i don't i don't i used to use four pound for for crappies i don't do that anymore because it's too hard to work with the shit blows in the wind and you can't tie it and it's it's horrible so never mind now we we used to use two and four pound tippet for steelhead yeah exactly Two yeah. pounds uh, 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 tippet for steelhead. <laughs> like who does that anymore? My God. <laughs> Anyways, right. uh, but by the way, don't don't get me wrong. There are some very good pre-tied fluorocarbon leaders out there for sale. 
There's a lot of musky companies that make them and they make really good leaders. So you can buy them too if you want it. So just to, don't don't get me wrong and saying you need to make your own. You can buy them and it's very convenient to buy them and all the crimps are done for you, et cetera. I was so. just thinking, the boys went to the trouble of putting a link right here on the sheet. Are you trying to, you're trying to click the link right now, I'm right? trying to click it to see what's there. And there's nothing there. <laughs> Damn thing doesn't click, Dean. <laughs> and then I thought, well, maybe he just wants us to read it out to folks. But we need an extra hour here in the program for me to read this whole <laughs> thing out. <laughs> But but what that is is uh, even the fly fishermen they use they use a tieable leader like Anne was talking about earlier. So um, that's what this link was to. So the fly fishermen, uh, toothy fish or predator leaders. The final and number six this on one, our list. This one is quite the uh, is quite the invention by our. Oh, this again is from our own Dean. I maybe Dean didn't invent this, but homemade minnow trap. It's actually clever. It's yes. actually a clever out way of, of a water bottle. So, so what he does, if you, if you're in a pinch to get minnows at the cottage, you got, you know, cause you can use, as long as you can use live bait in your, in your area, you could certainly use live bait out of your lake versus importing them from another zone. Right. So if you don't have a minnow trap, so what Dean does, this is good. You take your water bottle, you cut the top off where the, the twist top, you know, the cap is and all that. You then turn that upside down and stick it back in the bottle, take the cap off. Turn it back in the bottle. So now you've got this innie, not an outie. You know, it's like a belly button. It's like an innie going in there. You tape it up together. Have your little... St- whoa, 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 whoa. Tape what up together? You, well, you've cut the bottle off. Now. Yes. So now you flip it. So now the lid is here and this is up. And you put it inside like that. So it's going in like, in yes. like that. And it's an innie now. Yes. You got to tape it together. You got to hold oh, it. Oh, you got to hold it there so Some it doesn't fall off. Maybe you could use Mendit. No, no, Mendit won't work on that. Now you need super glue. See, now you need your super glue there. There you go. Okay. So that, and you put your little cracker crumbs or whatever in this sucker. Probably maybe put a little holes in it. I don't know if you, I'm sure to sink it down or maybe a rock in there. He says, they don't get out of it. They get into it and they don't get out of it. Think about that one. Yeah. I think Dean needs to put an article to show that one out there yeah, on I our think, site. I think he should. Actually, he should. No, I think Dean should be asked to demonstrate one on video. The, and, even and, better. And get her done that way. Even better. I think so. I like that. Dean, you're, you're, you're being called out, brother. That's right. Because, you know, he, uh-huh. he's gonna, uh-huh. you know what? He's going to get famous out of that. He's, oh, he's he'll take make your a fortune. fortune out of that. I'm going right? to take a cut, though. Okay. He's going to give me a cut of that for sure. All right. All right. That are it. Homemade minnow traps. There you go. Fish can swim in, but they can't swim, can't out. swim out. I always wondered that about the like real the minnow traps, trap. right? It's like those real minnow traps with the both with a double ender there. You know what I mean? Double ender any. Have any. you ever seen a uh, honeybee trap? Or just no? Did I say honeybee? I take that back. You can't trap. Have honeybees. you ever seen a wasp trap? Well, yeah, the, I got those bottles that you hang, and they go up underneath the lid like that. Same thing. Same concept. They get in, but they can't get out. I like those things because then I watch them suffer too. Because I hate those yellow jacket you bastards. Club them? You club I them? I would. Have, oh, I. You know, I club them. I would. <laughs> I would take a pellet gun to each and every one of their heads. I would do anything I could to kill every one of them. I hate them so oh, much. I've been stung good. so many times in my life that I. I remember you, sitting there. They get in that liquid. You put in some liquid honey or whatever in there, and they get stuck in there, and they're like they're drowning. And I just look at them and say, you know, I'd like to you save you, but them. kiss you my ass, them. bitches, because you're gonna die. <laughs> Oh, God uh, almighty. God. We're going to get turfed, I'm sure. Okay, that's all right. All right. Did we pretty much cover all of this uh, interesting stuff? Uh, all of stuff? our stuff except for the banter. You know the what banter. I mean? banter. We get the bantering going on. All right. 
So then you got the world record smallmouth story. You've got some. Oh uh, my God! Feral hog a, story. It was just a, and then a, 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 a plethora. A, thank you. Yeah, you were looking that's for that a, word, weren't you? No. No, no, not particularly. Oh. Uh, I want to remind everybody about the wonderful contests that are ongoing on fishingcanada.com. <laughs> Whoa. We've got all this sometimes, there. Not right? all the time, but sometimes you can go there and win goodies. When is our big one coming up? They're our next client. I don't know if we can reveal that or not. If we reveal the name of it or whatever. When is that coming up? I don't know. Soon. Very soon. I think uh, I was told like in a couple of weeks. And it's a six-month or a six-week project. How long is that? Uh, I don't know anything. Lots of prizes. Anyways, there's, there's big news coming up. Maybe open now because we don't know when this podcast is airing. So it might True. be right now. True. So, That's why nobody's so coming the, on. The name to... starts with C. That's all I can say. The company name starts with C. Connie? Given... <laughs> you, know, you know I wanted to say something there, but I'm not going to because you said this podcast is already out of control. So. All right. So uh, I'm not anyways, go. keep an eye on fishcan.com. Connie Artist. How's that? Connie Artist. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, all kinds of goodies going on there. And, of course, uh, if, if these six little tips we just gave you kind of just wet the appetite, you need to go to fishingcanada.com and uh, check out the multitude of others that are uh, on that site. All you have to do is go in there and uh, and uh, check it out. And write us, too. If you and get, write us. If you me. have a drop shot live bait thing that you're doing and uh, it's, it's phenomenal, uh, you're fixing baits, you're finding fish without fish finders, whatever. Making your own uh, fish trap? Fish traps. Let us know. We'll, uh, pickerel we'll traps. We'll make, pickerel. Them, make some pickerel traps there up there next. All right. That are it. On behalf of the entire team, uh, Dean, who uh, puts this wonderful program together. Uh, thank you. Dean Taylor. And, of course, uh, Jordan, uh, who you've heard once today. Thank you. And uh, the lovely Mr. Bowman, the incomparable Mr. Bowman. <laughs> I, was, I, knew, I thought he was going to go with complete silence. So I was thinking he was I'm Angelo Viola. We'll catch you next time, folks. <laughs>